Welcome to Building the Future, Freedom, Prosperity, and Foreign Policy, a podcast series focused on updating the United States soft power playbook to meet the hopes and aspirations of developing countries because it's in America's interest to do so. I'm Dan Rundy, Senior Vice President at CSIS. There are a lot of global challenges out there, so let's get started. Really pleased to be guest hosting this with my colleague Rick Rosso, who is all things India here at CSIS, and we're going to be having a conversation uh, with some guests from uh, the state of Kerala in India, Mr. Tom Jose, who is the state administration's top civil servant, and then Mr. Sanjeev Kaushi, the principal secretary for the state's fiscal affairs. We're going to be talking about infrastructure development in Kerala. For those of you who don't know, Kerala has 33 million people and a GNP of $130 billion. That's roughly the same population as Saudi Arabia and a similar economic size as Ukraine, all in just one relatively small-ish state for India. So everything in big is big in India. It's kind of like everything is big in <laughs> Texas. Everything's big in India. So Rick, thanks for doing this with me. I'm so glad that your colleagues are in town. I know you have a series on states that you're, and I think that's why they're here, right? Yeah, we, uh, we've really chosen to focus on things that are happening at the subnational level in India. A lot of folks follow what's happening in Delhi on a day-to-day basis, but ultimately India's development trajectory is going to be led far more by her 29 states and seven territories than on any single thing that happens out of Delhi. So, you know, for us, it's uh, it's very exciting to have uh, two senior representatives of the Kerala government to have a conversation with CSIS friends about infrastructure priorities and to sit down for this podcast. And Dan, you got one of the best in the shop here. So thanks for uh, your for kind of man. Yeah. So Tom and Sanjeev, thanks for doing this. Could you just first tell us a little bit about Kerala? Because I think not everyone knows where Kerala is. On I, I think I could tell you where it is on a map and I'm a pretty well-read guy. So just tell us a little bit about Kerala and tell us a little bit about your hopes for infrastructure development in Kerala, because you have a great story to tell about Kerala. So Kerala, Dan, if you like, is called God's own country. All right. And I thought West Virginia was God's own country. (laughs) Well, as far as India is concerned, that is God's own country. (laughs) It is at the very southern tip of India, and it is a longish state with the Indian Ocean on the western side, and on the eastern border we have the mountains, the western Ghats. Mm. It's got a coastline of about 600 kilometers and benefits from its proximity. It's about 10 nautical miles from the international shipping line. Apart from being the most beautiful state in the country, it's also the most well-developed state uh, historically for various reasons because of its progressive governance. We've uh, always invested heavily in our people. And therefore, if you look at any of the United Nations Millennium Development Goals, Kerala ranks um, at the top amongst all Indian states. In fact, in terms of its Human Development Index, whether it is education or uh, healthcare and some of the other parameters on longevity, mortality, on child sex ratio, etc., we are pretty much at par with some of the uh, developed countries in the Western world and therefore way ahead of the rest of the Indian states. That's phenomenal. But apart from being uh, so high up on the Human Development Index, we are also the richest state in the country in terms of our per capita income. Not only do we have a thriving industry in the state, which spans across tourism, hospitality, being such a beautiful state with a coastline as well as beautiful mountains with tea estates and plantation, we benefit a lot from domestic as well as international tourism. But we also have healthcare. Ayurveda is something that you would have heard of. So we have the Ayurveda system of medicine. 
And then there is, of course, being a naturally well-endowed state, we benefit from our produce, whether it is coconuts or it is bananas or rubber and cashew, etc., or spices. We are the spice bowl of India. And of course, in terms of our seafood heritage. So is that like the bread basket, the spice bowl of India? That's great. (laughs) Every corner has got its own products, but uh, Kerala (laughs) has got some of the best. You know, another area, too, that uh, I think in terms of the economy that Kerala has been able to produce, this great educated workforce uh, moving to the Middle East and working in projects and coming back. And, uh, you know, without as much of a domestic economy, I think, years ago, a lot of that human capital you built uh, moving overseas. Is that changing? Was that story even true back in the day that, you know, the best and the brightest would move overseas for a bit? then come back. Was that story even true? And if so, is it evolving now? How do, how do you look at this mix of you know, great education, great healthcare, great things like that, and trying to get the economy a bit of a burst? Well, this is actually a conscious policy that we have pursued from time immemorial. In fact, even the kings of Travancore wanted to invest in human skills. And today, one of the top priorities of the country, led by our Prime Minister, Mr. Modi, is the skill development program. So we've started doing this many, many decades ago and our, whether it is in terms of our uh, human skills or in terms of sheer labor uh, force numbers, a lot of our people have gone and settled in different parts of the world, including in North America and uh, in other parts like the Middle East. We've traditionally benefited a lot from the remittances that come in. And some of these remittances go into creating wealth indirectly in the state because it supports construction activity, for instance. It supports a lot of investment. And therefore, I think we've uh, we've definitely benefited. But if you see in terms of recent trends, of course, there is a slight tapering off. There is a slowdown. But slowdown of people leaving? Yes, because of various reasons that we can discuss. But what we are trying to do now is to put a lot of thrust behind infrastructure development and easing doing business in the state of Kerala, which my um, senior colleague, Chief Secretary, will uh, talk about. So we are hoping that if we ease a sense of doing business and also if we invest in our infrastructure, that would in turn promote further opportunities and increase the industrial potential of Kerala. Chief Secretary Jose, talk about some of your infrastructure agenda, because I think this seems like a really interesting state. You've got a lot to offer I can see why Kerala would be called God's own country <laughs> in India to compete with West Virginia and, and other wonderful places in the United States. I mean, you've got coastline, you have mountains, it's beautiful, enormous tourism potential, enormous human capital. So talk about how, how are you thinking about infrastructure to take your state to the next level? Well, Daniel, uh, infrastructure has been an issue which has been under the consideration of the government in a very, very serious fashion for quite some time. As you know, that Kerala was ravaged by floods uh, last year, the worst floods to hit the state in about 100 years or so. So we lost a lot of infrastructure. Roads got washed away, roads, bridges, and culverts. Uh, we had landslides. We had communication problems, mm. and so on and so forth. The disaster management uh, assessment team which assisted Kerala, which came from the UN, they pegged the losses somewhere around 30,000 crores of rupees that in terms of dollars would be around about 4 billion US dollars. That's a lot. Now, that's a lot of money. And now we have to build infrastructure back in the state and the state has taken a position that when we build, we will build 
back better and build for the future. So this has been the motto of uh, the state, the state government and the elected uh, representatives of the state. As a result, uh, we have been uh, looking at uh, various opportunities for partnering with different agencies, uh, national and uh, international in nature. One of the main areas which we are concerned about and we are working on is the transportation sector where movement of people is is necessary. So the roads would have to be souped up and maintained and constructed better. In order to tackle that issue, the government is also seriously planning uh, an additional uh, rail link, uh, which would uh, hasten the pace of travel from one point to the other. This is from the south to north. Uh, we have named it the Silver Line. It's something like a silver lining. I was explaining <laughs> to Richard uh, in the congested uh, realm of uh, transportation. And uh, we are also actively seeking assistance from various agencies. This would also reduce the travel time. It would also take people comfortably from one end of the state to the other. We are also in the process of uh, renovating our uh, highways and uh, making them four-lane and six-lane wherever possible. For this, we have teamed up with the union government and the land acquisition in such cases is going on. So we hope that in the next to two to three years' time, we should be able to improve the transportation facilities uh, within Kerala. So this would certainly bring in uh, some relief to the not only to the people but also to the visitors who come to visit the state. On other areas in respect of uh, power, we are by and large uh, okay in respect of water. This is an issue which uh, government uh, is uh, actively looking into. As you know, Kerala receives the, the highest amount of rainfall in, in India. It's about more than 3,000 millimeters. Oh, my word. And per capita, it would work out to about uh, more than 5,000 liters of uh, water uh, per Day. Is it in the short periods of monsoon seasons? or just Two Carolina? monsoons. We have two monsoons. That is the southwest monsoon and the northeast monsoon. So these two monsoons, uh, we receive a lot of rainwater. A lot of water in a short period of, of time. A lot of water in a short period of time. And sometimes it uh, leads to floods as well. So we are also looking at water harvesting systems sure. so that these waters could be stored, harnessed, and used Absolutely. whenever it is necessary. So government is working on those lines. We are also pairing with the World Bank and other agencies uh, for uh, water harvesting, setting up water harvesting systems uh, and putting in procedures that would uh, help us conserve water. Another infrastructure area which the government is uh, seriously working on is curbing the use of uh, plastic and also the solid waste uh, that uh, uh, generally gets uh, generated uh, in everyday living uh, situations. Uh, we are putting up uh, different uh, waste to energy plants across the state uh, in order to tackle uh, this uh, issue. On the communications front, by and large, uh, the state is pretty good. Everybody carries two mobile phones <laughs> and touch phones, so we, we are generally pretty okay with that so on the communication front. On the education front, uh, the government is also looking at uh, 
setting up uh, world class educational institutions which would compare with uh, the best in the rest of the world so policies uh, in order to put these things into practice policies are being worked on and we hope that in the next two to three years time uh, the rebuilding process would uh, get into greater strides so that's our hope Roads, rail, water, solid waste, education. It's I mean, a great agenda. You know, from my airports. long uh, airports. Airports, yes. You know, from my long experience in the uh, in the private sector, and I know Dan has got development bank background and also really good in private sector. But how how is it that you attract private money into these kind of projects? Is, is there an appetite from the private sector and private capital, or do you look mostly at government financing, uh, development banks, that kind of thing? What's the role of the private sector in this? Do you think? we look at both in fact uh, we in kerala believe that the private sector has an active role to play in all uh, developmental aspects uh, basically when we talk about private sector people talk in terms of uh, rate of returns and of course rate of returns are necessary otherwise uh, no company would be able to survive now we understand that in so far as government is concerned sometimes uh, the issue of uh, indian rate of returns are push maybe to the background basically because the government also looks at the welfare of the people and is not always looking at profit because if a government were to look at always profits then it just wouldn't make awareness so it would be just business so government is always a mixture of business and governance it is not business alone it is not governance alone and in that we would like to get the assistance of a private sector and we are open to that in fact today the government in kerala we favor the public private partnership approach where we believe that uh, the private sector has a definite role to play and they also have a very important role to play in terms of uh, generation of employment opportunities because uh, that is another key area which the government is looking at i mean if i think about the international finance corporations one of the, sort of the world's experts on public private partnerships for infrastructure i certainly would assume you're talking to the asian development bank about this my also my would assume also given the the capabilities of JICA and JBIC the Japanese and given Japan's commit you know interest in India i'm assuming these are all folks that you're talking to is that are those am i am i guessing correctly that's absolutely right uh, dan uh, in fact we are right now here in washington talking to the multilaterals but we've also spoken with some of the bilaterals that you named including from japan yeah uh, there are new institutions that have come up in asia for example the ndb the brics bank yes. and also the asian investment bank who yeah. are who are in active uh, dialogue with us but apart from some of these institutions we also uh, have some innovative ideas we've set up some new routes for private investors to come in and invest in the state for example a couple of months ago kerala became the first indian state to float masala bonds masala bonds are basically instead of being denominated in dollars these are bonds denominated in indian rupees and floated on the london and singapore stock exchange where the investor bears the foreign exchange volatility so those instruments are very much listed on the stock exchanges and traded uh, in the secondary market 
we are also uh, setting up an alternative investment fund which is a vehicle where we will raise funds from private investors mm-hmm. that will in turn invest in different infrastructure opportunities in the state therefore somebody who may not have an appetite immediately for a greenfield opportunity could come in through the route where the state government partners with him but it's actually my only a minority holding of the state the majority is owned by private financial institutions and others and therefore investors could come in through this route and invest in commercially viable infrastructure opportunities are you working with the commonwealth development corporation for example the of the united kingdom i mean i'm just thinking of a number of there are a number of organizations that I'm sure you're talking to about this, and I would think there's a lot of interest in this. I would think in, in the United States, the Trade and Development Agency, who's here in town, would be somebody you'd be talking to, or OPIC, which will soon be the Development Finance Corporation in the United States. They would both be would be interested in, in speaking with you, I'm sure. Sure. And those are both on our radar. And in fact, today we've had a brief discussion with them, but we intend to follow up those discussions. Yeah, good. You know, it's interesting to me that you were talking about the doing business and sort of sort of the ease of doing business. Does the World Bank rank Kerala and look specifically at the state of Kerala and the ease of doing business? Is that something that you guys have thought about? Yes. So, as you know, previously the ease of doing business rankings were at the national level. Yes. But now they've gone on uh, and uh, not only the World Bank, but also the Indian government through the Niti Aayog now ranks states on the ease of doing business. Sir, uh, you would like to add? Yeah, yes, uh, our ranking in the ease of doing business index has uh, gone up considerably in, in the, the last within the states. Uh, within the state in the last uh, two years or so. And uh, Kerala has taken uh, special steps uh, in this regard. We are in the process of uh, amending some of the acts, uh, which uh, have uh, at times uh, turned out to be uh, a little difficult to manage uh, for industrialists and uh, business houses. So we have had a thorough over and uh, uh, revisit uh, on how these acts have been implemented in the state. We have had discussions with uh, trade bodies, uh, chambers of commerce, uh, and other associated agencies in business. And we have taken opinions and their uh, observations uh, into effect. And then we are in the process of uh, amending rules and acts. We are also in the process of setting up what we call the single window investment opportunity, where at the district level and the state level, there would be definite mechanisms where if an investor feels that he or she is not getting enough adequate attention for uh, his or her project, then they can directly come to this uh, single window clearance committees and uh, get their uh, licenses and uh, permits cleared in no time. We are looking at a 30-day and a 60-day windows where uh, initially this licenses would be granted in 30 days' time, and if at all something happens, they don't get it, then it would be deemed that they have been given these licenses unless uh, it offends any of the acts or the rules. So the government of Kerala is working on those lines. We are putting final touches to these uh, policies and we hope to get them going pretty soon. Happy to report too, Dan, that uh, we just came from a development roundtable with uh, with these two gentlemen. Two members of the Kerala diaspora were there and taking uh, diligent notes and uh, clearly quite excited about some of the things they've seen in the recent past and some of the plans that Kerala has for the future. So see, we've got a lot of good folks around the table and hopefully we can be a good partner for this development journey. You know, one of the things I, I always say about the ease of doing business is some of it's about the ranking, but some of it's about the movement. So the extent that you're moving up in the ranking says that you have a government that's trying to make reforms. It doesn't show everything about what's going on in a state, but it does, to the extent you're moving up, it says something about 
the intent of your government. Can I just ask, you've had since 1970 one term of one party and one term of another political party, and you've had peaceful transfers of power because you know, you're the largest democracy in the world. And is there a sort of a broad consensus in the Kerala state about the things that we've been talking about? Is if you had a change in government in a year or two's time, are you going to come back here in two years' time as the, the top civil servants and say, we were just kidding? <laughs> you know? You need to worry about that because in the history of Kerala, uh, one of the things is that the governments have always been stable and we have always given that full five-year term to every government. Yes. Excepting, I think, several decades back, maybe once or twice. Other than that, all governments have completed their terms. But at the same time, Kerala is such a place that the people of Kerala would like to give a chance to everybody. So there are basically... It's a very generous place politically. You guys kind of <laughs> share the... share the You know, you, you, yeah. kinda, you change it every every five years, you change, and it's very generous and very yes, reasonable. that is right. But the one thing I must tell you that is, is that the broad developmental policies and objectives, whichever government is in power, they don't change. For instance, whether it is the left democratic front or the united democratic front in power, both the friends are seized upon the issue of having good highways. So this is broad general objective which both the parties, both the governments share. We are seized upon the issue of education. So on these basic issues of development, government's policies are so when pretty much the same. This you have a, an infrastructure investment opportunities in Kerala document here. You've shown this to your parliament and both sides of the aisle and your parliament are okay with this? Yes, yes, of course. In fact, uh, sir, if I can add on that, the Kerala Infrastructure Investment Fund Board Act was passed by the House with a unanimous vote, where both the opposition as well as the ruling front voted completely in favor of the act. Not once, but twice in 1998 when the act was incorporated and then in 2016 when comprehensive amendments were made. And also the nature of that board, the Infrastructure Fund Board, is such that the approvals for infrastructure projects are not at all in a partisan selection basis. They are uniformly across constituencies, irrespective of the government of the day. So the so effort- we, So if you're an investor, you don't need to worry about that there's going to be some kind of hiccup, you know, the next time there's a change in government in Kerala, right? Certainly not. Certainly, certainly no not. Problem. We can assure you on that. Okay, but that, that that's always in the back of investors' minds. When you're going to make a 20-year investment, they want to know that there's not going to be some surprise down the road, for, especially for a complicated invest. These sorts of long-term investments where you've got multiple changes in parties, enjoying a large consensus like you've just described is very important when people make decisions around these sorts of things, of course. Well, in the iron frame of Indian government, which is sitting around the table with us right now, the Indian Administrative Service, to make sure that no matter where you are in the country, the wobbles can't be too strong, because uh, right. at right. the end of the day, uh, folks like this will, will still be there and keep lying strong. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Rick, you've been in this business a long time. You know, you've been doing this series on, on the states in India. What are just some of your takeaways? Well, I do like, uh, you know, Kerala has some of the some of the greatest, most beautiful sites in the entire country. And uh, hearing uh, these gentlemen talk about, for instance, the waterways, which a lot of times are seen as a tourist thing, but to see them really integrated in the state's development planning and talking about how roads meet waterways, uh, multimodal transportation, the use of ports, uh, the fact that it's so close to shipping lines, the fact that they're uh, coming around the world and reaching out. A lot of state governments that have an interesting story to tell, but don't leave, don't come out and engage, you know, potential partners. And I think that conversation 
conversation we had earlier with uh, potential partners where you really felt that they were open for give and take. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you, you know, a state will show up and they'll give you kind of the ironclad rules and projects. You know, here we had a really good give and take with the development conversation we had before, which is really important too. You know, people want to feel they're part of the plan. A lot of people that love India and want to be partners and seeing that they're treated as partners is a great thing. So I uh, saw a lot of really good things here, Dan. You know, I just have to say in, in meeting the top civil servants of the state and just for countries to escape the middle income country trap, they need really capable civil servants. I'm really reassured to meet both of you gentlemen because I and I know the caliber of your leadership is reflected across many of all the states in India and that you have the top civil servants are really an important part of the future of your country because you can have changes in government, but you you know having folks like yourselves who doesn't matter who's in government, having folks like yourselves at the top to help make sure that broadly agreed upon consensus on policies are, are carried out is, is a really important part of governance. So it's great to have you both here. It's good to hear that. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Really appreciate that. It's an honor and privilege to have met both of you. Thanks. Thank Come you. back. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Thank great. you. Great. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 